Hey everyone, and welcome to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I am your host, Phil, and in this episode, I was really fortunate back in February at the ACCT conference to be able to have a discussion with Michelle Cummings. I mentioned that it was back in February mainly because in our discussion, we talk about the benefits of facilitating in-person versus virtual. And our thoughts on that subject have no doubt changed and altered since uh, the world has been placed in the situation it currently is in. A shout out to Michelle because she has been putting out a whole load of uh, webinars and resources for virtual facilitation. So thank you, Michelle, for putting in all that hard work. I know that the um, industry certainly appreciates it. And also, Michelle has a podcast with Chris Kevert called Ask Michelle and Chris About Team Building. As a final message from me to you, I hope you're staying safe out there. Please stay connected. If you need any advice on activities to use in person, uh, using physical distance, please reach out to us. We've been doing a lot of work on this. If you're unable to make it to one of our Gathering Again workshops, please just reach out. We'll happily share some information and some things that have worked for us. Uh, Stay safe out there, everyone. And with that said, enjoy this episode. Thank you. Today, I am fortunate. I am in ACCT's conference, and there are so many people there, so many people to talk to, and I was able to grab hold of someone, and this is Michelle Cummings. So over to you, Michelle. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're coming from. Well, yeah, thanks. I'm Michelle Cummings. I own and operate Training Wheels. I'm the big wheel at Training Wheels. Uh, I started uh, Training Wheels 21 years ago when I couldn't really find a job that I liked, so I made one up. I thought, you know, I'm pretty good at making up games. Maybe I'll make up a job, and maybe it'll work for me. So so at Training Wheels, we do portable team building programs, and uh, we do a lot of train the trainer programs where I teach other facilitators um, good facilitation skills. I present at a lot of conferences every year, so I, I've uh, authored a few books in the industry, so I uh, do a lot of workshops on books, as well as uh, we. I, I still do programming with clients as well, so I do experiential yeah. Team building program, leadership programs, things like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I always ask the question of people because I think it's very interesting to know our pathway, yeah. uh, the road to where you are right now. And obviously we could go super far back. But for you, what would be the like the first moment in your life where you felt because you were suggesting you couldn't find something for yourself. So you were like, create it for yourself. Yeah. What was the first point that you realized, this is this kind of work you want to get into? Yeah, my so I got my bachelor's degree in psychology, and I went into adventure therapy with kids. So I worked at a wilderness program, and um, the it was a long-term residential program. So the average length of stay for the kids was six to nine months. And it, but they could be out there for um, over a year. And they so everybody was kind of working their own program. And, uh, and this was my first job out of college. And it, we had a ropes course there. And that was my first exposure to the ropes course industry was at this first job. And I fell in love with the amazing transformations that I saw in these kids after doing the experiential work. So then I wanted to learn more about that. Why does stuff work so well when all the other things that we were doing really 
didn't have the same impact. So mm. that's when I got my master's degree from Mankato University or Minnesota State University no. at Mankato. They changed the name of my school. It used to be Minnesota <laughs> State University, but it's not anymore. So, but the Mankato Experiential Education Master's Program is a phenomenal program. And uh, so, so I then I just wanted to learn more about the theory, the philosophy behind experiential mm-hmm. ed and why it works so well. So uh, was there and got my master's degree there. And then the next job after that was, um, was a really great job for me. It was um, the St. Francis Academy in Atchison, Kansas, which the program is no longer there. But it, what was great about it, it was a 10-day intervention program mm-hmm. working with at-risk kids. And so we would kind of capture them in that moment and really mm-hmm. help to try to steer them on a different path. So it was 10-day intensive, and then I got a week off. And then the next you know, couple of weeks was all corporate and community work. So oh, it was wow. a really nice blend for me of still getting to work with kids and then also getting exposure to doing this type of work with adults. And I fell in love with also seeing amazing transformations in teams and in the corporate world and in the communities. And, and so that was just, that was a fantastic, um, fantastic job as well. Yeah. What, what for you about this field that you, you sort of reference its energy and the way it makes you feel? Can you think of a specific moment where you've seen this, you, you can identify this as a moment where I could see that energy or the power working? You know, I think uh, just working with a couple, when when it's not consistently just one client saying, it absolutely changed mm-hmm. the way that we do things. And whether that was a, a, a family um, talking about their child or, you know, an organization saying, like, our sales numbers are... And, you know, it just feels different at the office. So I think the repetitive, positive energy and positive feedback getting back from those clients doing that. It's just like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I get paid to play games. It's amazing. And it's doing it. You know, I love doing work that just has a positive impact out there in the world. Yeah. And it's not a selfless act for us to do this work. Right. No, <laughs> you know, it's not. <laughs> you know, and I think people will, I often refer to, and I've referred to it in several episodes, as people who are muggles, that's a Harry Potter reference, <laughs> yeah. that don't, just don't know the magic. Right. And when we tap into it and when we get to experience it, we feel good about it too. Yeah. And what I find that I, I do a, still a lot of youth programming, but mainly focus on adult training. Yeah. And I love that aha moment for people when they si- finally realize that there was a person recently who said, I understand after a five-day training, I understand why you did the games on the first day. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that statement alone was like, yes, I did it. Regardless of all the skills, he's not tying, all of this stuff, the technical stuff, it was the fact that he just got it. And he suddenly understood. And there was that connection that you had between someone who had the same feeling. And that's why I, I... love coming to these conferences because I think it's the opportunity to be with like-minded individuals and you're not shouting into the world, why don't you just like what I like? But yeah. you you have people immediately responding to it. For me, I had, um, if I go back to my past, I had a couple of people that helped me get to where I am now, sort of like fan that flame. Do you have anyone in your life that you think that they're semi-responsible for you being here or have some influence? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The very first, uh, so that first organization I worked with was called the Salesmanship Club Youth Camp, which I literally almost didn't send my resume to because I'm like, I don't want to teach kids how to be salesmen. Like, that's just weird, (laughs) right? But what the Salesmanship Club is, it's actually um, a group of men and women in the Dallas, Texas area. Mm -hmm. um, And 
that's the salesmanship club and they do fundraisers and they've the, so the fundraisers that they did funded the this camp so it's mm. called the salesmanship club youth camp but it was um their main fundraiser every year was the byron nelson golf tournament and mm. so in byron nelson he was this famous golfer um he's he's since passed but mm. um but his mission was to help underprivileged kids and so I, after he passed, I did get to meet him um, at the golf tournament one year, um, and I met him, and we got to hang out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until after later, till after he passed, that I realized what an impact his mission and vision actually had. Mm-hmm. And I actually wrote a letter to his uh, to his to his wife, and I said. I don't like golf. <laughs> I've never played golf. I'm actually really good at driving the cart. But um, I said, but in a weird way, golf changed my life because it was my first exposure yeah. to the challenge course recreation industry. And uh, I said, so I wish I would have had this insight to tell Byron himself, but I just felt compelled to tell you. So, and that, so that's kind of someone that just helped pave the way, at least getting me to the industry. And then afterwards, um, Carl Ronke and I have such a fun relationship. Mm-hmm. I just adore him. We have exchanged letters back and forth to one another yeah. ever since letter writing was, you know, <laughs> back then the letter writing was a thing. But I went to one of his workshops when I uh, pre-training wheels at an organization, and I was so inspired. And I'm, I've am i always been a pretty good letter writer. And so I sent him a letter, and I sent a little, um, a little prop that I had found that I thought he might I think was really cool, right? Because yeah. I was kind of maybe trying to get some brownie points. Yeah, of course. But yeah. uh, so I sent it to him, and then he mailed me. You know, mm-hmm. he sent me a letter back, and we just that ever since um, have just written letters back and forth, and and so he's always encouraged me. We and then the day we actually got to co present a workshop together, and that was like very cool. Yeah. And then later I ended up winning the AEE yeah. Carl Ronke Creativity Award. So which everything's full was, circle. It was. It totally was. That was yeah. honestly one of the only awards I've ever really wanted to receive. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and so, and I told him, I said, if I ever get nominated for that award and I win it, like you have to show up and you have to actually give it to me. Like, I won't accept it if you're not there, you know, whatever. And, um, and he's, he's, uh, had some health challenges recently. So the year that I won it, um, I sent him a letter and I said, Carl, I, I'm winning this award and I know you can't be there physically, but you still have to show up somehow. Like, how are you going to show up? And so he goes, I made a promise that I would show up. So he actually wrote the and then had somebody else give the speech as if that's he beautiful. was sitting. Yeah, that yeah, was pretty cool. That's so, very very cool. Yeah, and I I also wrote letters to Carl, so it's like yeah, oh, so that's really we fun. have that connection. Um, but I I remember at the time when I first started, I had that same desire to learn and learn from people that I'm reading the books. And yeah. I think sometimes when people read books, they they're hesitant to want to reach out to the authors. Oh yeah, because uh, I don't know. There's it feels like there's a barrier or something, and yeah. it feels stalkerish or whatever. It's like you're fanboying or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but for me, I can say that that certainly helped me end up yes. in this field by reaching out to people who I knew had written books, and I just was very honest and. Uh, I wasn't writing letters. I was emails. But, sure. That's uh, <laughs> <okay>. yeah. <laughs> um, I do email now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I think for, for me, it was like I just decided I was going to reach out to these people and see. Yeah. And, you know, Carl was responding and I met him in person a couple of times. I was fortunate to attend one of his last one days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was I, I was very fortunate in that realm. But I also reached out to folks like Chris Ortiz and Jim Grout and now I happen to work for Jim and was hired by Chris and (laughs) I think that this community is all about connection it is and I whenever I give a training I give my work my card out and say please contact me Mm -hmm. and I very it's very rarely does people actually do it Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's the same for you that you don't have 
as many as you, not as like, I don't want to be inundated, but I think that sometimes there is this barrier and yeah. I think people shouldn't feel that. Yeah. In this well, so I actually, um, I actually feel like people contact me pretty regularly, but I think yeah. it's also because of my newsletter. So yeah. I send a newsletter out every connected. Wednesday and, and so I'm already in everybody's inbox. <laughs> It now goes out to 18,000 people in over 65 countries. And so that's a lot of facilitators. And I actually put in there, you know, at the end of one of my little intro sections, I'm like, what ideas do you have? Or or what piece of advice could you give me? Just hit reply. Like it actually comes to me. And and so so anyway, so that's kind of fun. I feel like I actually do a decent interaction facilitators out there. And and I choose to do face-to-face marketing as much as I can. That's Mm -hmm. why I present at 15 to 20 conferences every year, which is a lot it means I'm on the road a lot, but uh, but that's the way I would prefer to. It's experiential, right? Yeah, I would prefer to do it in person and uh, connecting with people that and way. And I think people are going to have that better response when you're face to face. Like as an example, we're face to face right now. Exactly. And we talked about. I mean, I've done a few over the internet, and they've been great. Uh, but it, I think the connection of human to human is often so much more powerful, and you can p- feed off the energies of each other and you can read the person it's it feels more personable but i i think as well you showing yourself and doing the activities and demonstrating them has more weight sometimes than a written text absolutely yeah and i try to do video and i try to throw some of that in there mm-hmm. into the newsletter i also so in the newsletter i do tips on how to be a better trainer and things like yeah. that but then i also will throw in personal stories so yeah. that way you know, and I actually have people come up to me at conferences and they're like, Oh my god, Michelle and I'm like, Oh wait, sorry, we actually haven't met, but I feel like I know, I know. you because yeah. because I, yeah. you know, get your newsletter and I know that, you know, your closet collapsed Lex last week or <laughs> yeah. you know, your you know, like yeah, whatever. Because I wrote some like and then I of course make it into a metaphor of some yeah. sort. But it like they're like, I wanna see a picture of your like completed closet now. Yeah. <laughs> like this something That's silly awesome. like that. So. What what so you referenced like you were ask you ask people for sending tips. I always uh, high five. We challenge each other as a training team to try each year to do something different or new in our flow, or give it people advice, give each other advice on what to change. What's a piece of advice that someone's given you that you've implemented recently that you oh, think is valuable? A, well, so. Um Chris Caver also lives in the Denver area, so we try to get together pretty regularly. He's also one of those that I just have loved working with over the years. He's authored lots of books. I think you've done a yeah, podcast with him as well. Him, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, what we didn't know is that the very first person I sat next to in my very first graduate class at Minnesota State University Mankato was Chris Caver. He was yeah. not an author yet. I was not yeah. an author yet. We yeah. were just two kids in in grad school together, and we connected. And so now that he is, you know, he's written. I don't know, fifteen or eighteen 16, books, yeah, something like yeah. that, and and uh, he's local, so we get to hang out a lot more, and and so we actually just had lunch last week. We try to get together regularly because it's a way to push one another and and ask each other questions, and and so and he's doing um, some great online courses. I've done one online course so far, and he's doing lots more. So so seeing what other people are doing that kind of pushes me a little bit as well. So I feel like more we, because I don't have an internal team as far as, exactly, like yeah. you guys have at, yeah. at High Five. It's more me and I have amazing staff that work with me, but they're not necessarily facilitators. They're my office manager, my wheel of fortune, my yeah. accountant, and my my spokesperson, my uh, our warehouse guy and whatnot yeah, that yeah. Put, helps put orders out the door. So, um, but you know, staying creative i like to go places where other people have been created mm-hmm. and that uh, that helps me feel like i'm still doing things that are different and edgy and yeah. and seeing what else is out there and chris yeah. helps push me in that too so 
What is a an activity at the moment that is your favorite activity? Oh, that is a really hard question. <laughs> My favorite activity. You know, I um so because I get to go to so many conferences, I, I also like going to other game workshops to yeah. see what other people are doing. And uh, uh recently I went to a workshop that Chris Cavert was mm-hmm. doing and he wrote a book called Cup It Up with yeah. and used the red solo cup. Yeah. And he did one there called Reverse Pyramid. And what it is where you um, start with one cup on the table mm-hmm. and then you have to, as a team, then you have to pick up that one cup and then put two cups underneath it. And then, so you're building okay. a pyramid from yeah. the bottom up. And yep. then you're, as a team, you have to pick up the bottom two cups to put three cups underneath it, right? And so yeah. you keep building it up, but you can't, and if it topples, then you have to start all the way yep. back over at one cup. Okay. And uh, okay. and so it's this, it's a great activity that taps into fixed mindset versus growth mindset, because mm-hmm. it's amazing to watch the energy of the group. They're very excited, of course, when it's very few cups, but mm-hmm. then as it gets bigger and taller and taller, and they've got now eight cups underneath that they've got to all live together without dropping any of them. Um, some teams start to fizzle after they've, it's failed three times and like, where's their energy going versus, okay, we can do this and staying, staying engaged. And so that's kind of a a current favorite that I like. And it's very simple prop for me. Yeah. Is if I can, if it's a a prop that, and I know that Chris does a lot of these where he has books where it's multi-use for same prop. I think for me, if I, if it's a one and done that I I, I struggle to put it in the bag sometimes Oh yeah, because I have a finite amount of gear to be able to carry. So those Mm -hmm. kind of activities where it's multiple um, are really, really, helpful for me yeah um if you were to give advice to an emerging professional someone brand new and they came up to you and said michelle can you give me a couple of tips how i would work in this field Mm -hmm. what advice would you give i would tell them to um, shadow or co-facilitate as Mm. many seasoned facilitators as you can because you're just going to see things that they do that you like you're going to see things they do that you maybe don't like but you're then you're going to still be able to own it in your own unique way. But, um, and a lot of times, like I get calls all the time, like, Hey, I see that you're going to be in this area. Do you care if I come and, uh, just, you know, watch you facilitate or, um, you know, if you need any help, like schlepping bags, even or yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And so, um, and I, and I'm, I'm, if it's someone that really is wanting to decide, do I get into this industry? Do I not? Mm-hmm. Is it, uh, something that I want to do, then I, I encourage people just to shadow and, and co-facilitate as much as you can. It's experiential ed. So mm-hmm. you got to get experience. And yeah. sometimes I think that's just a case of saying, keep going out there, do the work. And you'll either figure it out if you don't like it or yeah. you do like it. Um, and go to conferences. That's yeah. honestly, you're going to get exposure to, you know, to so many great people that, that do this full time that are pretty good at it. So that way you can learn. It's I think conferences are also like drinking water from a fire hydrant yes. right because there's so much coming at you and it can be overwhelming some of it's going to get in you know but a lot of it's going to blow past you but uh but you know it's the greatest way to you know and of course and if, if financially if it, that's not an option for you there's mm-hmm. always usually service crew positions yep. like there there's scholarships i know i donate a lot to the silent auctions and those usually those dollars go towards scholarship funds that people can apply for so there are opportunities to to get there on a very tight budget mm-hmm. the very first conference i ever went to i was in grad school um it was an aee conference the association for experiential education and i had zero 
real money. I brought my backpacking tent. I brought my uh, my ramen noodles and my backpacking stove. And it was at this huge resort. And there is no way that I could afford a hotel room. And, and I froze my buns off in my tent. <laughs> but I was still there, yeah, right? And yeah. um, and it was it was one of those. I've now been to the AEE conference for over twenty five of them I think yeah, yeah. yeah so it's it's uh it's now feels like home but I remember and I was that facilitator that made not very much money and mm-hmm. really struggled but it still that learning piece was so valuable and I learned so much there that yeah. it was worth the struggle and worth worth getting there and the great thing about AEE for those listening there's they have regional conferences so they you do. don't have to go to the international That's true. find your region I'm the chair of the northeast so you know I we have ours coming up in our next week two weeks mm-hmm. Um, which probably won't be it'll be after this or before this game's out. Uh, but yeah, there are regional ones you can find and there are often lots of opportunities. I know for us, we're at Frank- Franklin Pierce University and we have, there's a bubble so they can camp in this bubble. Oh, nice. So nice. there's options for students in sure. there. I think, I think trying to look out and connect with people and asking the question, like, where could I go? Right. It doesn't often mean you have to travel to the bigger conferences. Mm-hmm. You, you'll find them at some point. Yeah. But there's a lot of good community stuff going on in several regions. Yeah, that well, really and back when I was... Back in my day, there was no internet, really, uh, yeah. you know, so we didn't have like yeah. all this information at our fingertips. There exactly. weren't hostels, or if there were, I didn't know of them. And, and uh, so it was literally just kind of word of mouth back then, and mm-hmm. I didn't didn't have those other resources. So there are other resources out there now that weren't available mm-hmm. 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So you still got quiet then, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was many years ago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We have this thing in, in the back of uh, one section on our Tinker book. We wrote about facilitation, and there was a question we just said, and I think it replies to like going to the conferences, seeing people represent, but realizing uh, try to be as best as you can be your authentic self when you then represent what you're seeing. So if I came to your workshop. If I went back and tried to replicate exactly how you framed an activity, exactly the lines, the stories, there's it's inauthentic, and styles are inauthentic. Mm-hmm. So what I the what the question we ask people when you consider yourself as a facilitator is what else are you good at? It doesn't have to be anything to do with this, and then boil down what makes you good at that. Ah. Whatever makes you good at that thing, change the word to let's say artist into facilitator, and all of those things should be applicable. And so that way you can be truly authentic and you're bringing in your own interests into the world what other than the work you do what else is michelle cummings good at uh there are two things that popped into my head as you Mm. were describing that and one of them is something that i'm newly good at because again i'm i'm the eternal learner and i uh several years ago i decided i wanted to write a novel which is very different than textbook writing, which yeah. some of my which my team building books are. And so I decided, um, so why I decided to write a novel was I, I'm in a book club, a bunch of us girls get together once yeah. a month. We sometimes read a book, um, but we drink always drink some wine. <laughs> yeah. um, but it really it's just it's it should be called life club because it's just yeah. you know some of my best girlfriends we get together and and uh, support one another through ups and downs of life and sometimes read a book and, and just hang out. So but one month we read this book called The Friday Night Knitting Club by Kate Jacobs, which. Mm-hmm. Truth be told, I didn't read the book that month because it didn't sound like one that I, maybe I would like. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, but then when we got there, one of the uh, one of the book club gals says, "I have a huge surprise." And we we're like, "What?" She was like, "Kate Jacobs is calling our book club tonight." I went on her website two days ago to download discussion questions, and there was a button that said, "Click here if you want Kate to call your book club." 
And magically, she had our date and time open. Oh. So she's like, so she's calling. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't, my, I didn't read the book. <laughs> Give me the cliff notes. Oh, my gosh. Now I feel horrible. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, and I tell you what, after an hour being on the phone with her, she just you know called in and, and mm-hmm. we put her on speaker and we just got to ask her questions about character development and why she did what she did and all mm-hmm. these things. And I left there so inspired. She And this was her first novel. Oh. And she had the New York Times bestseller list. And so I went home that night, like on cloud nine. And my poor husband, like I go home, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am going to write a novel. He's like, oh God, oh no, another new thing. Because I I swear I've created 47 businesses in my head, right? Because I'm like, we can do this, we can do this. He's like, bring it down, bring it down, bring it down, right? I get very excited. So, um, but anyway, so I thought... Well, and I couldn't just let it go. So finally, we went to dinner one night, and mm-hmm. we have this great thing that we do called, will you go into inquiry with me? So oh, if okay. either one of us has something in our head, we don't know what it is, or yeah. we need to get it out, then we that's our catchphrase is, will you go into inquiry with me? Huh. And then all he can do then is just ask questions. He can't throw in his own opinions. But it's like, so he was like, why do you want to write a novel? What do you want this book to do in the world? Um, who's your intended audience? Like just all of those things that yeah. just get me thinking. And so I thought, well, I would love to write, craft some sort of story that would hit the everyday women's book club market that would um, encourage the everyday woman to step outside of her day-to-day routine and try something new in the outdoors. Because I think the outdoors yeah. is the best teacher. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to ask other women to do it, I have to do it first. So what's something in the outdoors that I've never done before? And I'm pretty outdoorsy, so uh, so I had to kind of search a little bit, but it, I whittled it down to fly fishing. So I had never been fly fishing before, yeah. and uh, and I wanted to write from the perspective of a beginner because that's where all the raw emotions are. So those new facilitators getting started, like, oh my gosh, I can't do this, and they're so much better than me, and all that. That's exactly what oh, I went perfect. through when I was fly fishing, yeah. learning how to fly fish. Yeah. There's so many knots, which that's what we do in exactly. you know ropes courses. Like I can't tie the bullet on the bike. <laughs> like and me, I'm like, it's the double fisherman's knot. I should be able to tie this. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it, there's yeah. so much different. The rope is a lot smaller. Oh, <laughs> the your fishing hands line have just got much larger. Ex- that yeah. true. That too. <laughs> so anyway, so it's called the Real yeah. Sisters and R E E. For the fly fishing reel, and there's five women in the story, and um, each there's five main components to a fly rod, and each one of their personalities kind of matches what the main five functions of the fly rod. So of course I put metaphor in it. I even put the word experiential in the book. (laughs) So so I'm still truly an experiential educator at heart. But that was something for me. Fly fishing is now that thing. I'm actually pretty good at it, but I was horrible at it eight years ago. Um, but now I'm pretty good at it and I love it. And it's, oh. I, fa- I found something that actually will shut my brain down because mm. I don't focus on the, you know, thousand things on my to-do list because there's so much going on and there's so much to do that it just, I can only, I focus on that one thing at that time. And that's been a true gift to me. Plus I'm standing out in a beautiful river, you know, waving this big stick. And, and then when you catch this amazing uh, creature, it is, and then I do all catch and release. And so you release it back for future generations. I think sometimes because we've been doing this enough or we've been doing this a while, we forget that feeling of newness of what it's like to be brand new. I still get nervous when I present at stuff. So I don't know if you do now or, but I still have some of the butterflies in the stomach, but I have lost some of that, the newness to it. I can, go in front of a group and start doing stuff and it doesn't as affect me as it possibly could have when I first started. Um, So I, you know, I encourage people, I think we did a professional development episode that talked about find stuff outside of our field 
that just might influence the work you're doing. Because yeah. no doubt the fly fishing and the writing of the book influences still the work you do. Absolutely. It does, they're, no, they're not so, so polar opposite that they can't complement each other. So yep. trying to find something new. And you get to experience that true feeling of wonder and joy and stuff that maybe we don't as much experience ourselves exactly. in the work we do. For you, like, what do you think is, you know, the 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 future of this field? It's a hard question because I, you've been in it as many years as we shan't say, right. as you've been. Um, but that has changed. You talk yeah. about the writing of the letters to the emails, but technology has changed. Where do you see experiential education going in the next 10, 15 years? Yeah, it's that's an interesting question. I feel like we're kind of at this pivotal point now, especially that I've helped design and, and mm. whatnot, a couple of online courses. There's a part of me internally that struggles with a little bit because of the experiential piece. Like experiential, in theory, is in-person type of interactions, right? But there's But to make it accessible to so many people – you know, I think the we have to embrace technology and figure out how to mm-hmm. still make it experiential, um, so that way we're not losing opportunities for people that don't have access to come. And that's honestly one of the reasons why I started the online course is yeah. because I I do the classroom version of this as well, and and it it always fills up, and I'm gracious to all these people that want to come and learn uh, from me in the in the workshops and whatnot. But I know that that's a limited number of people, whereas, in, you know, if, if we push it to online, then mm-hmm. so many more people can have access to it. So, um, but I do think that there, I hope, my hope for the future is that we don't lose the the interaction pieces because yeah. they're so critical to mm-hmm. building empathy and, you know, just making well-rounded human beings by having those interpersonal connections in person. So, but I, but we can't ignore um, and not do the online ones as well. So I think there needs to be a good balance there and, um, but just still make it accessible for people. I was, I was reading a book. It was a very scary book, so I don't recommend it necessarily (laughs) for people in terms of it was, it's called glow kids. I don't know if you've, if Uh -uh. you've heard of it, but it's, the impact that screens have on the brain. And because we really don't know the impact that it does have, how do you deal? And you've got, Two kids. Yes. How how do you deal? Because I've got a. This is more parent advice for me. Sure. <laughs> how do you deal with the the increase in technology, and the desire you have, and you say we've still got to be outside? How do you right. find that right balance with your kids? I know for me, for my daughter, she knows how to use a touch screen, and it's conflicting for me. Mm-hmm. And I realize that I there is. I think we spend a lot of time outside, so there is good balance there. Yeah. But what have you seen in, in even your family? Yeah, so I have teenagers. They're 15 and 17 this week, soon to be 16 and 18. But, uh, you know, we limit screen time. We do. We mm-hmm. make sure on weekends that we don't just couch it out and, and sit on the couch and watch TV all day long. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get out. We go on trails. We still do the outdoor things. So I think also that's going to be a balance because – and we also – we were the last holdouts, you know, of course – they wanted cell phones in grade yeah. school. And we were like, um, no, we drop you off. We pick you up. I know exactly where you are all the time. Yeah. You don't need a cell phone. But all my friends have them. I'm yeah. like, I know. I'm really sorry for you. But I'm not. I'm so- sorry, not sorry. <laughs> sorry right? Sorry. So, um, but, you know, but we they did have devices at home. But we mm-hmm. we just limit them. And, and we still do family uh, dinners together. And no screens and phones at the dinner table. So those types of things. So, again, we can't ignore them because they are here. And they are excellent information sources for yeah. them. They, and they will have 
have them the rest of their lives. So it's teaching them to be responsible with them. And, you know, and now, I mean, they do make them to where you can turn. They just magically turn off after they've had their allotted time. time. So, so, and they don't like it and they will reject it. But my gosh, they are so much more creative when all of a sudden now they have to figure out what they want to do next that doesn't involve a screen. So I think we just, we try to balance it. And, and, but we also go out and do, like, my kids love going out and going to nature. Mm-hmm. And I send them to every summer camp that I can because then that's 100% screen free. Uh, last summer, Dylan, uh, my 15 year old, he went to, they always go to this two week sleepaway camp. And, uh, we, about one week in, he actually, um, he asked if he could stay for an additional two weeks because he was having so much fun. So he that's, literally that's was gone yeah. for an entire month without a screen and he came back just refreshed mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and they live outside. And so he just, he loved it. And so I think it, I, I think it might be that that, that generation or my daughter's generation actually pushed back on the cell phone stuff because mm-hmm. the way he was asking for more weeks, I've experienced when we have groups come, come in, we don't want cell phones on the tables. We eat meals together as mm-hmm. a, as a group of adults sometimes in our workshops. And it often gets put in an eval how relaxing how stress-free, even though you assume that it could be stressful. But if I was to put, and I've got my phone in my pocket, but if I put it on the table, even its influence on that table is enough to distract the conversation. So them being even away means that we can better connect. But they're asking for that. As much as we're trying to push it, I think that it could be that they're the ones who end up saying, okay, we don't want it anymore. Well, and now there's actually summer camps that are – starting up that are screen detox camps. There's one called Reset Summer Camp. I'm actually on the board of directors for them. And they take kids for an entire month. And the first week is literally detoxing them from screens, um, their systems, because they generally have poor nutrition because they're... Mm -hmm. And these are kids that are on game that are gaming like 12 to 16 hours a day Mm -hmm. type of thing. And, and it's just impacting every aspect of their life. So, um, so it, it, that's becoming more of a global program as they expand because now it's crazy. They fill up fast mm. because there's so many parents that want their kids back, but they've gone so far down this really, um, antisocial path that it's very hard to feel like they can get that kid back that they knew mm. even a year or two years ago because they're so addicted to screens now. You know, for me, I think that I remember when I was a younger, student of this world trying to find my my place like mm-hmm. trying to find why i enjoy it and um i'm i think now human connection's always been important i think now with the introduction of all the social medias and stuff our work is even more valid it, it still was valid but i feel the power of it is even more important so how would you how how do you publicize the work that you do to try to prove its validity yeah. in a world that sometimes might doubt the validity of the work we do because it feels kumbaya-ish or, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think when you're in an industry that as soon as the Geico commercial makes fun of your industry, you know that that there's a negative connotation to, oh, team building, the kumbaya team building. So I try to educate people and tell them, in my mind, I think there are three levels of programming. There's team bonding, team building, and team development. And those are three very different things and they're very different experiences. And there is value at each level, but you have to separate them Mm. because team development and team bonding are very different, right? And team bonding, that is just getting together and having some fun together and really not a, it's playful. There's really not a, an educational outcome other than 
social interaction and having some fun. Team building, I think, is probably more where we all fit in for your one-day, two-day programs, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a week-long program, um, things like that, to where there's actually – there's a it's facilitated by someone that has skills in debriefing that mm-hmm. have sequenced – thoughtfully sequenced out – what it is we want to do, what the educational outcomes are, and and that they go home. There's there could be an evaluation of the performance or, or of the event, and then team development though is ongoing work, and whether that be internal in a school classroom or whether that be in a corporation to where, but it is long term ongoing and usually some sort of assessment, behavioral assessments going on at this, you know. It, that are in association with that, but that's very different work. And so I think maybe that we don't feel as valued and it could be from that team bonding. And that's where mm-hmm. the Geico's of the world, the, you know, like, and, and that where we get made fun of because that's what feels like, Oh gosh, we have to get together and we have to hold hands and we have mm-hmm. to do whatever. Right. Um, Whereas team development, there's behavioral change in team development. And that's, there's so much value in that. But, but we get lumped in with the other two categories Mm -hmm. and, and, or at least that top category that maybe doesn't have, doesn't have the educational value that we all know is there in the team Mm -hmm. building and the team development. Each of those has value. And I think that's the, but I think it's important that people are better able to identify which one they're on. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Because when I see some places that, to say they're team building and I know that it's not. That's yes. where I think it, it holds some of us back. I always advocate for, you know, us as an industry being much more aware of our importance and being not as modest as I think sometimes we can be or humble as we can be about the impact that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, often I will speak to people and it's like, I'm just being me. And it's, you know, I, I say, no, no, no. I want you to value the stuff you do yeah. because what you do is really important. And sometimes it will be like, oh, I got here just by luck. I was in the right place at the right time. Now, I don't agree with that statement either. I think yeah. that we, I think that something that is common between all the people who have been in it a while and and by a while I, I could even mean five years or more because summer camp and outdoor red five years is old in those worlds sometimes sure. because it's sometimes seasonal but I think that we work hard and I think that's a crucial part of the impact I think our work, work ethic is often hard mm-hmm. you just said how much you travel for the work that you do yeah. I think that it's important for us to be able to own it a little bit stronger and say, yes, I am an expert and I do know. Because I know for me, I don't know if you experience this, but I I experience imposter syndrome. I'm younger and I've been in less time. So I think that will grow. I'll get more confident in my stuff. I was once that facilitator. Yeah, yeah, well, because I got started really young in, yeah. in this field as well. And so there were times where I feel I didn't, people weren't taking me seriously mm-hmm. or they didn't actually trust. Like here I am working with a bunch of CEOs in an organization and I'm 24 years old trying mm-hmm. to teach them about leadership, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I felt like a fraud at times. Yeah. And so now that I'm a little bit more seasoned and uh, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely have a confidence now that I did not have when I was in my you know mid-20s. But don't let that stop you. And again... Um, partner with the people or shadow the people that are doing it really well. What do they do that that make them exude that confidence? Or um, and just 
make sure you're providing opportunities for yourself to continue learning because it'll just make you better really well. What other resources other than going to those places do you recommend for people? And one of them obviously being your own, but what resources could do people have access to other than traveling and interaction with others? Um, local facilitator networks, I think are the best. So early on in training wheels days, I used to just host a play day at our office, mm. at our house, at my house all the time. We would do uh, kabirs and kebab and kebabs. <laughs> um, and yeah. so we'd come over and, I said, bring a game that you want to facilitate. And I, my backyard happens to um, back up to the fence of the middle school in my neighborhood. And yeah. so we would just go over to the basketball courts or over to the, to the baseball diamonds there. And, and we would just facilitate, you know, with one another mm-hmm. and play and, and it was free. So it cost nothing, you know, yeah. and, you know, so it's, you know, now that the internet is, you know, think just create a Facebook group and invite local facilitators to mm-hmm. it and like, Hey, let's t- get together. Even if it's four times a year, once a quarter, everybody bring a game and then, you know, bring something to throw on the grill and, uh, mm-hmm. And then just it's that it's building community and learning from others as well. Mm-hmm. When has this gone well? When has it not gone well? Um, when before I owned Training Wheels, I worked um, at an organization down in Texas, and there was a local ropes course. They would have um, monthly safety meetings, quote unquote safety meetings, um, and they called them that because they required that the people that worked on their course do so many hours of training with them, and that included low ropes, high ropes, whatever. Mm-hmm. So they would call them safety meetings, and they would come and they would cover. They would each month they would do one element on the course, low course or a high course, and so they would come. Everybody could facilitate a game. They were usually two hours in length, but mm-hmm. it was there on their course, and they didn't care if you didn't work for them, right? It was one of those just come and play. We'll learn from you. You'll yeah. learn from us. And it was, so that was like the first Monday of every month. We just knew that that was the the games night, the safety meeting, and it cost nothing because yeah. it was, you know, you're getting additional training hours and then you could log them in, yeah. you know, on your, for, you know, if you're working towards certification or anything like that. So just providing that opportunity um, and just create your own community. If there's not one there that started, start it and, or even just meet at a coffee shop and mm-hmm. uh, what games did you learn? Or, you know, cause you know, there's so many great online resources now, Chris Cavert and his fun doing website. He's got a blog with tons of games. I have a blog on mine. You guys probably have one as well. Yep. And so there's lots of games out there. So even just get together. If you don't have time to play them, get together and just talk about what did you learn this week or, or this month or whatever. And I think that's what I love about this field, um, AE, ACCT, this in experiential ed industry and the challenge course industry. We're always sharing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always enjoyed about it. I don't ever feel when people come and ask me for stuff, I freely give mm-hmm. and they freely give. And so it, I've always felt that collaborative piece mm-hmm. to find those connected people. There was someone at the conference uh, this week who from down in Virginia, they wanted to start we do a symposium and wanted to model that in some way. And I just gave them all of our stuff. I, yeah. no, I, I wasn't proprietary. I don't care. Yeah. You know, I just think it's, it's going to benefit the industry down there. Mm-hmm. That seems beneficial to everyone. It's just This industry, we're, honestly, we're about making a positive impact in the world. Yeah. And so the more you can share that out, that's why I put games in every newsletter and, mm-hmm. you know, I, and freely share it because I want people to do good work in the world. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I had a gal come up to me at the booth yesterday uh, here at the conference and she was like, my staff are so stuck in a rut. 
telling the same story for the mm-hmm. nitro crossing or whatever. And we're just, we feel so stuck and stagnant in what yeah. we do. I'm like, all right, here's a great thing you do. Grab a deck of Ubuntu cards or yeah. grab a deck of cheesy, cheesy cards and then flip, you know, everybody gets five cards and then you just sit in a little circle of five people. Someone turns over the top card and whatever that picture is, you start the story there, right? And you're like, all of a sudden, if it was a light bulb, then one night I had this great idea. And then the next person flips over the next card. And then it just is a way to get creative about coming up with whatever your new thing is. So just keeping it keeping your staff creative, um, just dump a bunch of stuff in the middle of the floor and say, you get 30 minutes to come up with a new activity, yeah. go. And uh, But it's kind of forced creativity, but yet creating that space and time for people to be able to um, not just copy what everybody else has done, but also get in that creative space and try to come up with new stuff. And, it, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And exactly. that's awesome. And that's exactly. how, we fi- how we figure it out. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a, as we think of like uh, times when it hasn't gone right, mm-hmm. I know of many times that I've done stuff or an activity and I realized I missed the mark or it flopped in some way. Is there something, a story that you could share about where you didn't do as well as you'd hoped? Um, several. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've learned more from my mistakes than I have my my successes, right? Yeah. So, um, and honestly, that's sometimes the best stuff comes from learning from my mistakes. There, There's one activity, I remember I said the instructions wrong, but then once you've said them, you're like, I can't take it back. I mean, it wasn't a safety issue by any means, but I'm like, I can't take it back. But now I'm really kind of curious to see if this works. And it did. It worked better. And I was like, wow, that was the best mistake I ever (laughs) could have made. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As we wrap this up, how would people be able to reach out to you, Michelle, if they are interested? Because we've talked about connection. How do they get in touch with you and connect? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is just training-wheels.com. Don't Mm -hmm. forget the dash if you get this computer science place. I know it. I know a lot of people do. They actually gave me an email. They gave me my own email email address with just trainingwheels.com because people email it all the time. They were emailing them. So they've connected you. Yeah. So they just, they just, so Michelle at training-wheels.com is my email address. Two L's Michelle. Um, And then, um, you know, our 800 number is Mm 888-553-0147. But the internet is the best way. And then, or just to send me an email. And I'm very accessible. And uh, and I love hearing from people, asking questions. I've done a lot of interviews for a lot of students doing papers. And um, I have a lot of people say, hey, I'm reading Teachable Moment for my college course. Can I do a quick interview with you? Mm -hmm. I'm like, absolutely. I would love that. So, so, and I love connecting with the facilitator community. I really do. I love people that have rubber chickens and know what to do with them. (laughs) That's a great tagline. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Thanks for giving us a good guy. Do you have a dad's joke or a mum joke? (laughs) 
So I've been inserting them at the ends. I do have <laughs> okay. a facilitator joke, okay. though. Oh, that's just, Are this you is, ready? I'm ready. Okay. So did you know that Luke Skywalker was one of the first experiential facilitators? I didn't. No, because he always says, metaphors be with you. <laughs> I know, it's awful. That is the one I'm going to yeah. use. Because that, that's that right tinge of awful exactly. that makes it good again. Exactly, You know, right? if you go too far the wrong way, it makes it great. Yeah. And, and that one is a, a great one. A couple years ago on May 4th, which is yes. May the 4th be yes. with you, yeah. I actually took the, like, the spacey, like, star thing, yeah. and I just, I made it metaphors be, be with, with you, you instead of May the 4th be well. with you. <laughs> 